Hello and welcome to the third episode of Unqualified Theology, a smart take on theology created by me, a curious college student. In this episode, we are going to look at the different views of God held by different people in history and how that impacts Christianity today. We will focus on how ancient Hebrew and Greek culture viewed God and the implications of those views. I am going to vaguely define the ancient Hebrews as the Hebrew co- culture from around the time of Moses in 1400 BC until the Greeks conquered Palestine in 300 BC. During this time, Hebrew culture was affected by the cultures of Egypt and Mesopotamia. This was the time during which most of the Old Testament was written. How did the ancient Hebrews view God? Now, before we answer this question, we need to look at how the Israelites viewed the nature of reality. Like most of the world at that time, the Israelites thought about things in terms of what they did and not what they were. This idea is called a functional ontology. These beliefs affected how the Israelites would have viewed God. According to John Walton in his book, Old Testament Theology for Christians, quote, Due to the metaphysical inclinations of the Israelites, they would not have necessarily cared about who God is, as about what God does, because his deeds were at the core of their ontology, end quote. So the Israelites were concerned with how God acts, but not what he fundamentally is. We see this idea in the Old Testament. There are many passages that talk about God as a warrior fighting for his people, or as a creator sustaining his creation, or as a judge judging the wrong in the world. There are far fewer passages that seek to describe God in more general terms like all-knowing or all-powerful. The impact is of this is that when the Israelites and the authors of the Old Testament thought about God, they did not think as we do of an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good God. They thought of the functions God performed. They were not as concerned with understanding God's fundamental nature since they knew what he does. Interesting enough, many of the descriptors we focus on for God are not what distinguish God from the other gods in the ancient Near East. John Walton points out that while God was viewed by the Israelites as all-knowing, all-powerful, etc., this did not distinguish him from the other gods in the ancient Near East. Quote, However, we also find similar statements in the hymnology of the ancient Near East that could support similar beliefs about particular gods that they worshipped. At the same time, we need to recognize that such beliefs could be held about several gods at the same time. In addition to the traits like all-powerful and all-knowing, most major Near Eastern gods were viewed as the creator of the world and as warriors who fought for their people. Many of the attributes Christians stress in the definition of God were not what set him apart from the other gods in the area. So what set him apart? The two most important distinguishing features of God are his holiness and his dedication to a plan. As John Walton points out, no other god in the ancient Near East were thought of as holy. In fact, only Arcadian, the language of the Akkadian Empire in Mesopotamia, even had a word similar to holy. The idea of holiness is described, quote, Yahweh is holy not because he conforms to some outside standard of holiness, but because he is God. 
Describing something as holy means that it is situated in the divine realm. For everyone or everything so designated, other than God, this is a conferred status. It is not something that can be pursued and achieved. God is by definition holy. End quote. God describes himself as set apart and holy, and conferred this status on his people. This distinguished God from the other gods that surrounded him. The second distinguishing trait is that of an ineffable plan. According to John Walton again, quote, Among the most persistent claims made about Yahweh is that he makes plans and carries them out. Not referring to the ad hoc plans made in the frame of the near future, also commonplace in rhetoric of the ancient Near East, but to long-term plans. In this claim, he is both differentiating himself from other gods who cannot do these things and expressing his sovereignty since none can subvert or challenge his plan, end quote. God's ultimate plan for the universe is the second plan thing that distinguished him from other gods. In addition to the distinguishing features of God, the Israelites' religion was also distinguished by how they viewed themselves in relation to God. Most other Near Eastern cultures believed that humanity had been created to serve the gods. In return for service, humanity would get benefits. This idea is referred to as a great symbiosis. The idea of creation for servitude defined the way that people in the ancient Near East view themselves and their relationship to the world and the gods. In the Old Testament, a different idea is presented. Quote, Rather, the replacement for the great symbiosis in the Old Testament approach is the great enterprise. This enterprise is defined by Yahweh's plans and purposes in the cosmos in which Israel participates. End quote. The Old Testament presents the idea that humanity, specifically Israel, is in a relationship with God to further his purposes. God sets apart people as holy to participate in his ineffable plan. This is, a very, this is a very different idea than presented by the gods of any other culture at that time. Another important factor of ancient Israelite belief is what they believed about good and evil. The concept of moral good in an absolute sense emerges first in around 400 B.C., this is around a thousand years after Moses lived and after the Old Testament was written. Instead of believing in moral good versus evil, as most people do today, the ancient world thought in terms of chaos versus order. Chaos was bad and order was good. Before the world was created, chaos reigned. The creator God tamed chaos and instituted order. The creator was viewed as the institutor of order and not the creator of matter or substance, emphasizing the important role of order in ancient thought. In the Old Testament, bad action is defined as acting contrary to God's order, not operating against traditional morality. The original sin of eating the apple consisted of going against God's order, not doing a normally defined moral evil. Old Testament laws with harsh punishments often violate our sense of morality, but they show the strong emphasis on order. This understanding of chaos and order changed how ancient cultures viewed right, wrong, and God. While Hebrew 
culture defined the beginning of the religion that became Christianity. Ancient Greek culture also had an immeasurable impact. In 333 BC, Alexander the Great conquered Palestine. From this point onwards, Greek thought had a great impact on Judaism and Christianity. It is important to note that much of the early Christian thought dealt with reconciling Greek philosophy and Christianity. This was one of the main intellectual focuses of scholars like St. Augustine and Aquinas. One important note, when most people think of ancient Greece and God, they think of a pantheon of colorful Greek gods like Zeus, Hera, Apollo, and Poseidon. However, many Greek philosophers believe that there, were, there was a singular great being that created the world. Aristotle described it as the first cause or unmoved mover who created the rest of the universe. Plato believed similarly that there was a perfect creator. So, when I refer to Greek thought on God, I am referencing the philosophical ideas about God and not Greek myths. Unlike the ancient Hebrews, Greeks thought of things in terms of what they fundamentally were. They believed that everything that existed was made of substances. Everything had a fundamental nature regardless of action. Therefore, when Greeks thought of God, they thought of what he fundamentally was and not what he did. This is probably how most people today view reality and God. The basic way Greek philosophy viewed God was the ultimate perfect creator. As such, he was unchanging and immaterial. The physical world was viewed as inherently flawed and imperfect. Therefore, God only existed outside of it. Change suggested that something was imperfect, therefore God was unchanging. Aristotle thought that God could only think of that which was most perfect, and therefore he eternally thought only of himself. God was typically viewed as separate and disinterested in the physical world. But God gave order and purpose to the world, even if only at creation. To sum this up, Zeno, one of the early Greek philosophers, said, quote, God is an animal, immortal, rational, perfect, and intellectual in his happiness, unsusceptible to any kind of evil, and having a foreknowledge of the world and all that is in the world, end quote. This quote sounds very similar to any modern Christian definition of God and is very far removed from any ancient Hebrew definition of God. Influences of Greek thought can be clearly seen in Christianity. For instance, the ontological and cosmological arguments for God's existence both rely on Greek thought. The ontological argument depends on the idea of a greatest conceivable being. The concept of a greatest conceivable being is rooted in Greek philosophy. The idea would not have been considered under ancient Hebrew thought. The cosmological argument deals with the creation of the universe. This argument was taken from Aristotle's writings in Metaphysics. The creation of matter was not a concern in ancient Hebrew thought. These arguments are another example of how Christian thought sometimes favors Greek philosophy over Hebrew thought. Now, despite the positive influence of Greek philosophy on Christianity, there have been some negative impacts. Paul addresses one of these issues in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
In this, Paul criticizes the, quote, wisdom of the world, end quote, which would have been referring to the Greek-influenced thought that dominated wisdom at the time. Paul says that the crucifixion of God in Christ was foolishness to the Gentiles. The Gentiles of the time would have believed God to be a detached perfection. A philosophically perfect being would come up with a better plan than to make himself human and thus imperfect and then die. With the Greek view of God, the crucifixion does not make any sense. I think this highlights the larger problem that Greek philosophy view creates for Christianity. When God is viewed as a philosophical ideal, perfect in every conceivable way, it is difficult to make sense of many parts of Christianity. This is where the problem of evil stems from. If God is definitionally perfect in power and goodness, why do earthquakes happen, virus outbreaks, cancer, the Holocaust? Why is genocide commanded in the Old Testament? And so on. Most people can easily conceive of a world that is at least marginally better than our own. A better world is the world that a perfect God would have created. This is the most potent objection to Christianity. It is also an objection that, in my opinion, has never been well refuted. Under the ancient Hebrew view of God, God was not thought of as definitionally perfect in power and goodness, simply as a faithful and holy ruler who does good acts. There is no logical requirement to, for God to create a perfect universe, simply a good one. It is very defensible to say that the world is good, but it defies reality to say that the world even borders on perfect. Another problem in Greek thought is that good and evil are viewed as substances, not merely adjectives. In Greek philosophy, things are definitionally good and evil. And good and evil exist as ultimate concepts. There is a conception of ultimate and perfect good and an ultimate and complete evil. And there are several problems with this. First, how could a perfect God allow an ultimate and complete evil to exist? This would be contrary to his perfect will, even if the evil was kept under his power. The fact that God could share the universe with something completely evil and contrary to him is self-defeating. Second, if good and evil exist as concepts apart from God, they are standards to which God can be compared. We can understand good and compare God to our idea of good to see whether or not he lives up to it. This implies that there is a standard of greater than God, and that standard being good. Even if people maintain that they do not have the knowledge to judge if God's actions are good, there is still the issue that there exists a standard of good apart from God. This means that God is not the ultimate. Therefore, holding a, the Greek view of God in good and evil, as most Christians do, creates irreconcilable contradictions. God cannot be perfect and ultimate and let good and evil exist in as concepts. Under an ancient Hebrew view of God, God is not a perfectly good ideal. He is a ho holy being who does good things. This distinction probably sounds a little bit like pointless wordplay, but it has merit. The issue is in how much God can be understood. 
In the Greek view, God is perfect, and therefore he is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, and so on. When God is thought to be these things, we can say in a sense that we understand him. We know what he is. He is a list of these attributes. He becomes easy to critique. If he is all-powerful and all-good, why does the world look like this? Under a Hebrew view of God, God is holy, and he has a plan to make us holy. God also does good things. Under this view, there is no pretense to understanding anything about God. He is unknowable. We cannot critique his action because we don't even understand what he is. While the Hebrew view of God resolves some issues, like the problem of evil, it creates other issues. Why would you believe in something you cannot understand? It is also much harder to logically prove the existence of God when you cannot assign definitional attributes to him. Honestly, I'm not entirely sure where I stand on this issue. But I think it is important to recognize believers in God throughout history have had very different conceptions of what God is. While obviously both ideas cannot be simultaneously true, I don't think the conception of God determines salvation or anything else important. I also think that people need to understand where their view of God comes from and consider the merits of that belief. Thank you for listening. I hope you have learned something or gained food for thought. Please join me for the next episode of Unqualified Theology. In this episode, I have heavily referenced the book Old Testament Theology for Christians by John Walton. I recommend this book for a concise overview of Old Testament theology. You can find me at unqualifiedtheology.com or on Twitter at unqualifiedliz.